Okay, shockingly, it's before 8 o'clock and we're actually starting. Um, so let me go ahead and enter a broadcast title here real quick. Is that Lesson 47? It is. Yes. Cool. All right, there it is. Okay, so uh, 23rd of January. Uh, must be around the 16th or so of... Uh, Shavat, right? What is it? Somebody knows, right? Seventh of Shavat. Yeah. And uh, 47th. Full moon is on the. Deal. 15th. It's on the 15th. Oh, yeah. 31st of January. Right. And Tu is uh, New Year of Trees, no? And uh, what's our what's our tradition there? We don't plant trees. We actually eat from the trees. There's lots of traditions. One of them is plant trees, particularly in Israel. We yeah. can pay someone to do so. There's some good charities for that. Yeah, yeah. Um, also, the six species, I believe, of right, right, right. Uh, from Israel. Six? I think it's six: olives, barley. Seven. Seven. I think it's oh, seven, seven too. Yeah. yeah, seven makes sense. Yeah, makes more sense. Seven makes olives, more barley, sense. figs, <clears throat> grapes, uh, pomegranates. Possibly yeah. pomegranates, wheat. Yeah, pomegranates. Yeah. Um, isn't care of one of them? Something weird like that? I don't think so. Chocolate? No. Mm-hmm. Just checking. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, yeah, there's, there's, there's some traditions species. there of eating those species that come from the tree, care of, of course, being a tree. And um, and then I suggested to my wife that we plant our second fig tree uh, in the backyard, but uh, she mentioned that. That would work in Israel, but at this time of year, it will not work in North Carolina. So uh, we're going to uh, come up with something more clever than that. Well, um, a lot of trees do plant well right now. But how about the fig? My wife says no. If you say yes, I can use you as the expert if you want. If the fig tree dies, then you know we'll have to kill you or something. But our fruit trees are kind of dormant, so they plant exactly. well. Exactly, exactly. But she's thinking spring. But um, I can use you as a... Uh, Agrarian, you know, expert to, to make that magic happen. I might have to Google it. Yeah. So, uh, Yad somebody, you had a charity that we uh, Yad donated to Yad Eliezer last year. Yeah. Great organization. Um, yes. Yeah, so at the, around Forum, tradition to give Sadaka mm-hmm. for charity. Mm-hmm. Um, Yad Eliezer is an organization based in Israel that gives charity to Israelis, um, for Israelis. There are lots of different things that they do. You can support someone monthly, a whole village monthly. You can support, uh, you can send money so that they'll put together a holiday package for Purim or Pesach for needy Israelis who wouldn't be able to afford it otherwise. So we did that as a community, I think, last year, right? Did you? Mm, yeah, the year last before, year, you collected collected some money from all of us to do that. It was cool. Um, I'd like us to do that again this year. Um, So if you guys would look and and see if there's a a better organization, great. Um, But maybe the Men of Torah can send some money to uh, God Eliezer and specify we want to do that. I think it would be great. It's a a good one. Yeah. Okay. Um, Yeah. I got the widow and orphan fund. Yeah, that, um, you looking at Yad Eliezer? Yeah, I am. It's, it's an extraordinary organization, and like I said, a couple of years ago, Joshua brought it to our attention, and I've, I've been impressed. 
Actually, and everything's done in the lamp. I can't recall who brought it to my attention. Maybe Greg's mom. I don't remember somebody mentioned it to me one time, and it was like, oh, and I looked it up, and there, yeah, I like yeah, it a it's, lot. it's spectacular. Yeah. Alrighty. Weird reference in the very beginning of this chapter two. Hold our thought. Thank praise first. Hold that thought. Yeah. So uh, we're going to look at the temple language here, and we're blistering, guys. I know, Josiah, this is going to be tough for you because you know you kind of want to plod along. I've noticed. You know, just to really get these deep thoughts on every single word, every other verse. I get it, and that's good. But we're looking for halakha. We're looking for what we do as uh, Gentiles. So um, we're going to look at some specific things that I've uh, picked out of Ephesians 2 first. And, uh, and then if we've got some extra stuff, we'll do that. Because um, it's, uh, it's pretty amazing. All right? So uh, who would like to uh, read for us, Jonathan? You used to be dead because of your sins and act of disobedience. You walked in the ways of the law of Isaiah and obeyed the ruler of the powers of the air, who is still at work among the disobedient. Indeed, we all once lived this way. We followed the passions of our old nature and obeyed the wishes of our old nature and our own thoughts. In our natural condition, we were headed for God's wrath, just like everyone else. But God is so rich in mercy and loves us with such intense love that even when we were dead because of our acts of disobedience, he brought us to life along with the Messiah. It is by grace that you have been delivered. That is, God raised us up with the Messiah Yeshua and seated us with him in heaven in order to exhibit in the ages to come how infinitely rich is his grace. How great is his kindness towards us who are united with the Messiah Yeshua. You have been delivered by grace through trusting, and even this is not your accomplishment, but God's gift. You are not delivered by your own actions. Therefore, no one should boast, for we are of God's making, created in union with Messiah Yeshua for a life of good actions already prepared by God for us to do. Incredible. It always sounds like he's reading a different Bible. <laughs> Outstanding. Thank you, Jonathan. Well sure. Scott, tell me about the workmanship of some of your cars. I just marvel when I see some of the interior redesigns that you've done or put in place because they're, they're so meticulous. And I thought about you and your passion for the Mustang as I went through verse 10, that, that we are his workmanship. We're, we're his work, created Messiah Yeshua for these good works. So help me understand workmanship in that regard. Well, workmanship is the result, I think, of the work that's that's been put in place uh, the efforts that have been made and you can see the results of the workmanship that was produced by the efforts that went into yeah creating so without the without the I mean we see the quality certainly in your cars and it's is it doesn't happen by accident well there, yeah there's lighting that went into place you know first 
design. I uh, like it. And then uh, the, uh, uh, the effort that's made to actually bring to fruition that plan, that design. Which can take an inordinate amount of time, but there's really no telling how much time, mm -hmm. depending on how much work. Mm -hmm. And then you get the, the quality result. Mm -hmm. I uh, think, uh, I'm sorry. I, I thought it was interesting here, you know, when, as we read past these words, uh, you know, in the past, but if you, you're concentrating on them now from a Torah mindset, that we're created in Messiah Yeshua for good works, and we know what those good works are well, now. So, so from a grammatical perspective, which I prepared beforehand, mm -hmm. what, what was it that was prepared beforehand? Was it the works? Was it Messiah Yeshua? Or was it workmanship? I'm seeing the, the works. I think so too. Um, because it, it, the, last, the last part of the center refers to that we would walk in them. In them right. And those being the acts of Torah. Exactly right. God's prescription for how we should look. So, when, Joshua, when, when was the Torah thought about in the mind of God? How long has the Torah been there? I mean, you go into the mountain in your head, or sometime before the mountain? You know the mountain I'm speaking of. Do you know the mountain I'm speaking of? Okay. So we're going to assume if all three of you know the mountain I'm talking of, then the people listening online three years now know the mountain. Okay, so so, so when, did, when did the Torah happen? Was it on the mountain? Or was there a Torah before that? If you can't get it wrong, we'll, we'll just make funny. It's not Before the mountain. I agree, before the mountain. How long before the mountain? What do the sages say about Torah, Joshua? Uh, the other Joshua. Well, there is a little bit odd. They say it was 5,000 years before creation. Okay, that's a little odd. Um, I would say based on the Tanakh. How about on Proverbs? Yes. Who was there at Proverbs. creation? Um, John 1. Okay. Um, seems to me that you asked when the Torah was conceived in the mind of God, and I think the question is not, uh, was it really the response is more like, when was it not? Mm -hmm. Oh, that's... Yeah, that's like one hand clapping. I love that. That's great. It doesn't help at all, but I love it. No, I love but it, it seems to me that like, um, if Scripture is, the Torah in particular, is supposed to be an expression of who God is, then... It's timeless. It's timeless. It's it always be. been there with, with Him. The expression of it, so that our puny, pathetic, little three-dimensional minds comprehend it, is... Um, you know, is, is more, much more recent. I would say sometime around creation, it seems to be, at least some of it. All right. Jonathan, beforehand, help me. It says, which God prepared, presumably the good work, which he prepared beforehand. Well, where, where are you going with that? Before, beforehand. I, before I got saved? Okay. I can agree with that because I'm way after the Torah on the mountain. He prepared these good works beforehand. What's your mind say? When, when's that? Give me, give me some kind of reference here that I can, I can hold on to. It's stumping. We 
Mm-hmm. Okay, so let me ask you this. Yes. What was there before there was... Oop, oop, oop. Good. I think because he's speaking to these people... These people. That he's writing this letter to. Mostly Gentiles in Ephesus. That he's, believers in Messiah. That he's saying the Torah was prepared beforehand. Before... Which is what we're saying. Before what? Beforehand. Before... before before you were here. <laughs> before before they became saved. Before they became part of the community. I like that. I know it's true. I think there's more to it, though. That's good. I'm with you. Hang on one second. All right, Mr. Bearded Wonder. Well, Ephesians 1 mm-hmm. refers to, apparently, the way to be holy and the way to be blameless were prepared before the foundation of the world. Bam! Okay. Which also Peter references. Yes. So, before the foundation of the world, but when was the lamb slain before the foundation of the world? I mean, to Joshua's point, God's outside time. He's, right. he's not in time. I mean, it happened. Well, there's no past or present with him. There's no future with him. He's, he's the eternal now. Before we were, all it was already done. The fact that Messiah had to come in time and actually die on our behalf is... Our need, not his. Mm-hmm. So, your beforehand is a reference to before even creation. Mm-hmm. Good. Yeah, I, like I, I do think that's cool because we know, like you said, the Lamb was slain before the foundations of the world. But then, what's so cool is that in the beginning of Ephesians, it seems like Paul is referencing a similar concept that Messiah existed before the foundations of the world. But then he said that we should be holy and blameless before him. Meaning that at the same time, the preparation of that lamb being prepared before the foundation of the world, there was also a way to be holy and blameless Amen. being prepared. Exactly right. Which is why the sages you know, would, would argue that you should not be studying the creation story before you're mature mm. in your faith. Otherwise you might blaspheme Messiah. Because the creation story is all about Messiah. So, how do you like that? Does that work for you mentally? I'm, I'm good. So, does it beforehand bring it all the way back there work in your mind? Yes. Good. Yes. Hmm. Why do you like verse 10? Why is it your favorite verse? Because it's so clear that. That is speaking of Torah. To me, it's so clear. Mm-hmm. It's talking about you were created for good works, but it's specifically works that God prepared beforehand that you should walk in them. So the the walk in them is that phrase, that exclusively Hebrew phrase of walking in. This is how we do life. The the, the halakha. I I agree with you. I love it. It has nothing to do with when I was saved, what my salvation was about, what my history was about. It's not about me. It's about the fact that he prepared everything for me, for you, for us ahead of time. Okay. I think it's to how, how verse 10 builds on verse 9, because mm-hmm. we were just told in verse 9 that our salvation isn't anything that we did in and, in and of ourselves. It's not it's, our works. It's not our works. You didn't do this. And in verse 10, the result of the sa- of salvation, as we live out our lives and become s- sanctified, the, the sanctification process mm-hmm. is also not of us. Mm-hmm. It's his workmanship 
that's worked that out in us. That's right. So that's right. This needs to be balanced, of course, with other passages that make it clear that while he is working in us to make us holy, to make us like his son, at the same time, we have an obligation not to be a nudge, a little lump on the log, but rather to, to work with him mm-hmm. that we might also, right? And, you know, the circumcision thing, right? We need to circumcise our hearts. He will circumcise our hearts. We need to work out our faith in fear and trembling while the, he began a work in us, we'll continue it. Right. Right? And all of that. I think so. this verse, too, is such a great counter to the um, works less Christianity. Help me with that. Works so, less. And this is not across the board of Christianity. Mm-hmm. But as part of an extreme response to Catholicism back in the day in the Reformation, and it has become more progressive, or whatever you want to call it now, there is a tendency in some Christian sects um, or denominations to basically say, don't do anything. Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, my goodness. Let, let, let go. go. Let, let God. God. Like, yeah. God saves you, and you better... Don't even try. If, yeah. if you try to be obedient, that's gonna, a sin. You're going to mess up. Together. That's automatically wrong. You just need to rest in Jesus. Like, yeah. That's the message. And and they use verses like 9, you know, and, and Romans, I think, chapter 4, and the places like that, mm-hmm. try to make this argument that, like, that God just wants you to be. Don't do. Just be. Yeah. And verse 10 makes it very clear that you're supposed to be to be doing. Amen. God has prepared these works. You can't claim credit for them, so it's not a matter of arrogance. It's not that you're striving to please God and earn his salvation or anything yeah. like that. Yeah. But 10 makes it very clear that you were saved for a purpose. This reminds me, this verse 9 and 10, like you were talking about, they, they balance so well. It's just like the Exodus story we're reading right on our parasha. I was just going to say that. What it's is, just like this portion. What does God tell Moses? He Why? says, Take don't, them. don't pray. Well, tell right. them to move forward. Right. Well, that's true. The parasha this week was the Red Sea, but also just when he tells Moses, go to Pharaoh, tell them, let my people go, that and they, they may, may serve me. me. There's a secondary part of that concept. It's not just to free them from slavery. And I think that that's yeah. true There's of our reason. salvation yeah. as well. I agree. And and I, I see it in, t- in today's Aliyah that, hey, what, why are they complaining to you? Why, why are you praying to me? Stop praying. Move forward. Just start moving. And it'll all work. So that's good. That's good. Other comments on this? Yes, sir. Well, and I, I also like the phrase good works because it's it's sort of a description of Torah but then at the same time it's kind of like the ideal working out of the Torah that you would consider those works to be good so that's just the fact that they exist as good works they are but that the person doing them considers them good as well mm-hmm. and that they're not burdensome yeah hmm. yeah mm-hmm. Um, I, I think Agathos is 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 better translated as virtuous. To me, it, that has more gravitas, if you will, more more weight than good. You need to be doing virtuous things. You know what I mean? Not just good things. I mean, it's good to, you know, pick your socks up off the floor. We're looking for virtuous things. You You need to Praise your mother for the wonderful things that she does during the day for you. You need to praise your wife. You need to do things that have virtue. And if you're thinking about it from a Hebrew perspective, the word work 
is um, the, the, the verb is ose, um, which you'll see the various versions of that in a lot of our Shabbat uh, prayers. Ose shalom. And I think that while um, shalom, do make peace, mm -hmm. word do and make are the same. Um, uh, what's kind of cool about the word, though, is in the uh, is that in the Shabbat references, God says that the children of Israel are supposed to do, or you could almost translate like work, um, rest, I guess. Right. So say is do or make. It's not really work. I guess Ava is technically more like Oved. It would be more like work or serve. But say is do or make, which reminds me of this whole idea of the, it's like this weird balance of rest and action. Um, where like you're supposed to actually be doing rest, and I think that kind of fits here. This idea of like faith and works b blending, where it's odd. You're not claiming credit for it, but you're still doing it. Exactly. This is where uh, Brock is coming in with uh, his comment that God put man on the earth to quote do works, both pre and post the Garden of Eden. It's the antithesis of man's purpose to just rest. Right, and just do nothing. So, it's good. Yeah, you, even to that point about this this whole story that we're in with the parsha, I mean, that's like what Moshe did. I mean, God could have done everything without Moshe, Boom, but He used done. somebody he used, he used to do that. that. Mm -hmm. That's right. You know, Moshe brought about so much with with um, just and that was his mission, but it was both. Right, right, and it, it reminds me. There was a, a talk Yishai Fletcher in his show. They were talking about some of the things about God using people and the whole idea of expression of God through the Torah as a way that we can understand. It's not all of God. God mm -hmm. is incomprehensible. So mm -hmm. it's enough of it that we can comprehend. It reminds me of that kind of Christian-y phrase that I think does have weight, though, is that we are the hands and feet. Which we're going to get into this whole Ephesians passage talks a lot about being the body. And if you think about it that way, not in the sense that, like, you know, we're the only Jesus that they'll ever see, but more like we're actually like representation of God on earth. When we do the things that he prepared us to do, the good works, the Torah that he's prepared us to do, we are literally a physical picture of God what did, in a universe in which God has chosen to hide himself. What did God say to the children of Israel? Why was he giving him the mitzvot? The kingdom of the priest? No. Well, yes. It's not so thing. He would have a people unto himself? No. Yes, but that's not thing. You guys all know the Bible so well. It was that the nations would see them performing these acts of righteousness, these Torah deeds, and they would stop and go, wow, what kind of God do these people have? Mm -hmm. That he would give them, the and God would receive the glory. Mm -hmm. right. Only because they were working at the Torah. Great. That's right. All right. Back to our study guide. I, uh, I gave you a couple of uh, references here. Uh, two from Luke and the rest, uh, three from, uh, from Paul. Uh, but same, same deal, right? Full of good works and acts of charity, performing deeds in keeping with their repentance, which I think is, is a big deal, right? This, you know, we're going back to some previous classes where we've, we've recognized what, what, what could possibly be the deeds that are keeping with your repentance other than returning to or starting to keep the Torah. The work of the Torah is written on the hearts, bearing fruit in every good work, zealous for good works. So uh, 
I saw these, uh, and there's many, many, many others, um, but these just rang of mitzvot and tzedakah, right? These good works and charity, acts of charity. So, what are, what are some things that I could do? That would be acts of Torah outside my home. That would fall under either good works or acts of charity. I mean, they're everywhere. Give me one. I'm it, it just thinking about some being out anywhere in public and somebody drops something, you pick it up, you nice. hand it to them. No. Um, just complete stranger. Complete stranger. Right. right. They knock over a basket of whatever. You help them pick it up. You help them pick it up. Okay. That's, that's good. Yeah. That's good. a good work. I know. I like it. What else? At a grocery store and take give somebody your cart that you just use while they're walking in. Nice. Or, like or mm-hmm. take a cart away mm-hmm. from them. Right, because they're because at the they car. Can, they can be elderly. I got that. Yeah. And to bring it back. Give them, give them a break. Yeah. Know? Absolutely. Good. Yes, sir. I have an example. Um, that's what, a real life example, actually. Yeah, that's what I do our right. neighbor got our package, mm-hmm. and it's, I was thinking kind of what, like it it's something like no, no just like, <laughs> something. Oh, I was thinking of it. I got to tell them today as, that you could keep in your hand. I was thinking it was something like you found something that belongs to someone else and you're returning it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Big mitzvah. Yeah, mm-hmm. it is. Giving yeah. charity is a mitzvah. Top shelf. Seeing somebody who's needy and and trying to help in some way, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that's a mitzvah. Yeah. Wearing tzitzit's a mitzvah. Mm-hmm. I think even, and we learn a lot from you, but in public, honoring our parents yeah. in front of others, is they don't even know it, but it's a big mitzvah. It's a very big mitzvah. It's a very big That's good. I think good. another one is being a light and connecting others to Hashem. Just... If there's ways that you can speak life into them, in order for them to look to Yeshua, I don't disagree with you. Mm-hmm. I just find it hard to find Torah examples. Um, I'm reminded of Agapam's uh, comment. Somebody help me. He says something like, uh, "Go throughout the world." and share the gospel and if you have to open your mouth okay. you know something like that okay. you know because it should be your works that cause them to ask rather than you bringing up they should question why are you doing this? what what's different about you i want to know what your motivator is you know what i'm saying and, and I see that more in the scriptures than I do. Like I said, there's no question what you said is correct. Right. The method by which we do that is, is where I'm... Where, where I'm, I'm, I'm thinking about those, those personal times to where you just start talking about God with somebody and the next thing you know, you're just having a sharpening... Service among with the two of them, God's presence there. And Proverbs talks about that. So, yeah. I mean, you and I do that all the time. Right. But we're talking about iron sharpening iron. 
as a regular routine. Yeah. But I think sharing my faith with someone, as the years go by, I do that more and more as a result of a response rather than looking for possibly an awkward opening. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, it's not like, it just, it kind of happens. It happens, it, almost like a divine appointment. Right. That you're just the right guy to be there because they just found out that they got to grow a beard or whatever it may be, you know, right. and it just starts. I'm with you, 100%. Our master has a great list for this too. In Matthew 25, for I was hungry and mm -hmm. you gave me food. Mm -hmm. I was thirsty, mm -hmm. you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. I like it. I, I forget that the welcoming one is in there. That's what stuck out Yeah, that stands out as something that is much, you know, that, that's an easier thing than some of those other things to do. And almost to your point where the being that light, yeah. you know, in welcoming people, being hospitable, but, but even just being... You know, I love that you're sitting in my house while you're saying converse. Yes, yes, absolutely. <laughs> I was welcomed very well. But even to that point, like there was a there's a rabbi, I can't recall which one it is right now. Um, and that was like his thing. He would he would always be the first person to greet someone. He would never let them greet him first. Because it was so important to make sure that he greeted them and that there is that is considered in Judaism to be um, a, a good ethical practice to try to give people greetings and things like that. All right. So we pick up in Ephesians 2.11. Who would like to read for us? Please, Joshua, thank you very much. You could expect that to be the end of the chapter, but I don't want to, you know. Therefore, remember that at one time. Okay, that's good. Thank you. You Gentiles in the flesh, called uncircumcision, what is called the circumcision, which is made into flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Messiah, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of the promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, in Messiah Yeshua, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Messiah. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility, by abolishing the law of commandments or expressed ordinances, that he might create in himself a new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God, one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you, who were far off, and peace to those who were near. All right, stop right there. Thank you very much. I have two points for you real quick. First, he mentions those who were far off twice. The first time, he makes it clear it's us, the Gentiles. And then that we would have peace with those who are near. Who are those who are near? Troublemakers. No. Jews. I'm oh, sorry? Jews. The Jews, yeah. So the Jews are near to God. They've got the commandments. Yeah. They've got everything we don't have. Right. Yeah. All right, so... That, by the way, I believe is a quote. Preach, or a paraphrase. Preach peace to those who are far from peace to those who are near. I believe it's a, a paraphrase of a verse in Isaiah... Paul does this all the time. Yeah. I mean, you don't even realize well, he's, he's He's got it all in his head, right. So, I guess the question I've got is to go back to 15. 
by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances. There are those, I got you, there are, there are those that, uh, in the visible representation of the church today, that would say, that, well, see right here, he's abolished the Torah. So help me understand verse 15 in this context, that he himself is our peace, who is both one and is broken down in his flesh, the dividing wall of hostility, by doing this, abolishing the law of commandments, expressing ordinances that he might create himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God and one body through the cross, thereby killing hostility. What in the world does that mean? Did he abolish the Torah? I think Joshua was first, but not on that point, right? That was that point. That but was that point. My question was, what does he mean by abolishing the Torah? Thank you very much. That's good. Now you and I are on the same sheet of music. Todd, bring it home, brother. The way I see this, and I hope I'm correct. We all do. Is that he's abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances. What does that mean? So, the, when you are the old creation, you see the law and commandments as a burden. You have to do this, and you can't do that, and you have to watch out for all these things. Okay. And, More attitudinal. Yeah. So it's so it's ordinances which are written. How to describe that? Um, I, I I hear where you're going. I like it, but I think you're a half a bubble off plum. Okay. I think you're really close. Then you're not wrong. So you're seeing. You're, you're seeing the law as ordinances, is what I'm looking at. You're seeing okay. it as do's and don'ts and following the letter of the yeah, law. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I do that right now. I see it as ordinances and I follow the letter of the law. So what's the difference? I think you're giving well, you're not me, it. I think you're giving your me heart. perspective. It's okay, your heart. okay, okay. All right. So what does the, what does the law, what does the letter do if I'm not a Messiah? Kill. Yes. That's what the scripture says. It kills me. Why? Because it, it demonstrates that I cannot save myself. Right. Yeah. I may be able to. If you follow all the ordinances. I may be able to do all the ordinances. <laughs> but yeah. it's just going to kill me. Because it just demonstrates that I'm a sinner. And I'm going to die. But on the other side, the flip side, a different perspective now in Messiah is... This is how I should be walking. Now I recognize that the law actually gives me an out. It shows me what to do when I do mess up. Make sure you don't do this. But I do do that. And it tells you what to do. As Greg is saying, they're good works. And the person doing them sees them as good. Amen. The ordinances are just written things you have to do or have to not do that are that you don't necessarily see as good. Yeah, we, we move from burden to life. Greek word. Greek word. For ordinances. Sorry, hang on. Pretty no. sure I know what it is. I was just looking that up. <laughs> that would be dogma. Dogma. Mm -hmm. I, I bring that up because this is my dad's interpretation of this passage. My dad reads this passage and sees that the word dogma is a man-made ordinance. So my dad's view of this, and I think he's right, he's reading the passage as a whole. There's a problem, I think, with the Christian view that the Torah, commandments expressed in words, is referencing the Torah at Mount Sinai. And the reason is, what's the problem, what's the issue that he's saying? He's saying that Yeshua, Messiah Yeshua's death removes something out of the way, what? Bring peace between Gentiles and Jews. Last I checked, the fact that Gentiles eat pork and Jews don't wasn't exactly a serious dividing line of a problem. 
Jews, I mean, I'm saying it's like there's a difference. But the point that I'm trying to get at is that's not creating hostility in and of itself. There may be hostility because of attitudes about it, but it's not inherently hostile. But dogma, and specifically the dogma of the first century, which said Jews and Gentiles can't touch hands. Jews and Gentiles can't be in the same room together, can't eat meals together. Gentiles are cut off, separated outside. You can come up here. And then he uses the phrase here, the dividing wall of hostility. In the temple, there was a line. You can go this far if you're a Gentile. There is a sign on a stone that says, you come past this point, you will die. We will kill you. That is what I think, and my says, I agree with him, is what Yeshua takes away. Because of Yeshua's ability to bring Jew and Gentile to be one in him, all of those rules and regulations that were man-made, they, they were not entirely a bad intent. The idea was good. It was trying to protect the holiness of the people of Israel. But Yeshua has made that irrelevant because the Gentiles are no longer pagan idolaters that are going to corrupt the Jewish people. These Gentiles are now become um, adopted sons into Israel. As a result, all of those ordinances are irrelevant at, at best and destructive more than in reality. And so he's effectively nullified them. I think that's what Paul's getting at. I think you're right. And I think you're right. Because I think... I think there's a... a the, with what he's saying, I'm seeing the broader context now. Or, absolutely. There's no question. Whereas I think I'm, it's, I'm a little more focused on just that phrase. Yeah, I think it's no, mostly that. I don't think that, that Muslim trying to argue against you. Oh, no, no, no. Like the, I think it's mostly that. But I think it, there's a hint of the other side as well. Because we're not going to be reconciled to God by simply breaking down the walls or the laws or the ordinances that the Jews came up with to keep Gentiles out. Mm -hmm. That's not going to reconcile to God. So it's a combo of both with, a, I think, a definite leaning on what you're saying. So the man-made stuff that's keeping us far off. Why were we far off? Not for lack for trying. I mean, look at the, how big the Gentile court was in the temple. What was the question of the day? What are we going to do with all these Gentiles? But look at the beginning of this passage. I mean, if you... Yeah. Romans, I think, chapter 11 talks about this is the idea, don't boast against the branches. Mm -hmm. Well, if you ever feel even slightly arrogant about your position, just read the last few verses in Ephesians chapter 2. I mean, first few you're a Gentile. You have no hope. You are cut, cut off. off. You're separated from the covenants of God, promises of God. You're without God in the world. I mean, it, it really could be... This is why be, I wanted you to memorize this. This is the part. It could not be more stark to say... That you were the lowest of the low. You're garbage. You have no shot. No, I agree with that. But to try and give you context, Jews represent, I think, 1% or less of the world's population. Still. Actually, I think it's 0.1%. Yeah, it's got to be smaller than 0.1%. His point is right. The bottom, where the whale dung is, of the Gentiles. Wait, wait, that's like 99.9% of the population. It's a really deep well of dung. It is. <laughs> this is why when that rabbi first walked into my home, I stopped him and told him that I felt honored and blessed that he would come under my roof. Because I'm a nobody. And it's not without Messiah, right? I'm well done. Because if you think you can write about that it, down, by the way. If you if you think about 
what, what, yeah. these, these last few verses are so important to emphasize the reason for that. Like, the people of Israel, I mean, Romans 11 mentions that too, it's, I, I think it's 11, that, that it um, they have the oracles of God. God entrusted them. Entrusted with you. God entrusted them with his words. They've had thousands of years of history of experiencing God firsthand. We were pagans. We were literally worshiping rocks and sticks. And so when Paul pulls them out, especially in Ephesus, and Ephesus is the idolatrous capital of the world at this time, um, he, Paul is saying, like, prior to this, you were literally hell-bent. You had no hope. That's it. But now, because of Messiah, you've been united with the with saints. And he uses that term. It's like the holy ones. The people of Israel are holy. And you've been brought into that family to be part and parcel with them. Exactly. It's an unbelievable act of grace. And that, and so that, like I said, there was a reason why the Jews cut off the Gentiles. It wasn't because the Gentiles weren't capable of doing good things, but every time Gentiles and Jews mix, bad things happen. Bad things happen. So what Messiah has done in changing Gentiles' hearts is literally revolutionary. It's historically changing. Amen. Want to pick us up at 18? Sure. Are we all good? Mm -hmm. I'm not going to finish Ephesians tonight. I'm just going to throw that out there. We are going to finish Ephesians tonight. We just may not say a lot about the other chapters. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens, with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Messiah Yeshua himself being the cornerstone, and whom the whole structure, being joined together, grows into a holy temple in Adonai. Uh oh. In him you are also being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. So, so was was the uh oh at the end of twenty one or at the beginning? Of I heard my Bible flipped to a different Bible. I hate it when it happens. It was a telescope mind. Yeah, 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 yeah. The uh oh. Okay. I say keep going. Go right into chapter 3. Yeah, go we're going to do that. So, uh, who wants to read? Mika Mocha. Go, buddy. 3-1. For this reason I call the prisoner of, of Yeshua Mashiach for the sake of you Gentiles. Indeed, you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace, which was given to me for you. That by revelation it was made known to me the mystery, as I wrote before in brief. For I refer to this, when you read it, you can understand my insight into the mystery of Mashiach, which in other generations was not made known to the sons of men, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets in Ruach. To be specific, that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, fellow members of the body, and fellow partakers of the promise in Mashiach. Stop. Yeshua Mashiach. Do the gospel. This is big. This is why there's angst. This is why Paul's in prison. This is this is his message. This is the big deal. It is not that Yeshua is the Messiah. This is it. Right here. That we're co heirs. Fellow heirs, whatever way to put it, members of the same body, partakers of the promises of God. This is 
absolutely revolutionary. And I'd say it still is the biggest issue. You bet. I mean, we have always been, and I believe we shall always be, and should always be, second class. Most people in the invisible church, the Gentile church, don't believe that. I believe it. I believe we are one in Messiah. And my opportunity and established place in the Olam Haba is as secure as a man who was born as a Jew. But in the Olam Hazeh, he has defined and designated me as a Gentile, not someone chosen by him to be a partaker and a uh, uh, something of the uh, Holy Scriptures. I, uh, you just said it earlier. Um, Garner. Romans 11. Garner. It's not Garner. Romans 11. Uh, entrusted with the oracles of God. Entrusted with the oracles of God. That's it. So you, you may disagree, but I think that we should always defer and give deference to a man or a woman who was born and selected by God to be Jewish. But I think this issue is even still critical today. I mean, I think about um, the Messianic movement. Well, uh, take all that out. The the so the issue of Messiah Yeshua is itself a, a roadblock with a lot of Orthodox Jews, obviously, an overwhelming majority. But there are some who are becoming comfortable with Messianic believers. Uh, enough to kind of consider us all sort of in the same boat, maybe not the same faith which, or whatever. Which is but, just going back to the first century. But what are we running into? When we were a temple set. Where is the line still being drawn? Some, some of them are saying you shouldn't keep Shabbat. Some of them are saying you can keep Shabbat, you can do everything we do, we're really still not sure you need to convert though. And that seems like it might be something you should do. I mean, you don't have to, well, but it's you, probably a good idea. If you convert... It makes it easy. Right, well... Because now, now there's no question. But, but I think it's more than that. I think theologically for them... I mean, I remember listening to one of them on, the, on his radio program, and it was actually... He was talking about, like... Like, you know, raving up the Christians he's met, loving them, thinking about how great they are, keeping Torah, whatever else. This is huge. And yet, that, that conversion point's still sticky. Try driving from the airport with your moil. Yeah. I mean, I mean his bottom line is, love you to death... Think you're great? Circumcise wow. my son. You know, you know the you know the word, you're keeping the Torah, this is great. So when are you getting when are you gonna convert? So my point is that even today, um, I mean there is so much more baggage between Jews and Gentiles than there was then. Gentiles have done a lot of awful things that Jews have to work through. Yeah. Um, and yet, even still, when you strip all that away, the, the handful of Jews who have really Try to get past all of that and embrace, and even us. some of the theological crises, crises like Mashiach his, and who he is, they still run up against the issue of Jews and Gentiles and how they can be together. So when you, when Paul well, says well, now, I, let, in, let's, in let's, Messiah, how they can how okay. Gentiles can join the family of God, that right. is still the primary point exactly. of of disagreement. Right. And Paul, when he describes his mystery, he he's not. It is. It literally is a mystery because it doesn't make sense. I mean, it makes theological sense. You sure. read Paul's arguments, sure. but 
if you take it from a Jewish perspective, I mean, the Jews who are not as friendly to us describe what we're doing as a cultural holocaust. Right. We're spiritually killing it. Because, yeah, right. you make it so, irrelevant to be Jewish. So how do you argue... Or perceive that way. How do you argue this point? How do you argue the point that we have standing with God, even though we're not Jewish? What's your argument? The Jew says, God chose us. We're the way in. If you want to come in, have a place in the world to come, you gotta you gotta come in through us. That's what God said. Joshua. I think it's that God made us all equal in him. Don't forget the, the modifier there. Because what you just said is not true unless you put the last phrase. Through the Jews. No. Through God. Close. That's right. Through Messiah, we're all on an equal footing. And yet the Jews would argue that in Isaiah, Messiah and the Jews are kind of used haphazardly together. They're sort of synonymous. In fact, Messiah is the quintessential Jew. So, if we all come through and have an opportunity through Messiah, then it's true that we all come through Israel. So they're not wrong. Really, the, the irony is, the issue here is not the theological principle that's a disagreement, it's the method. Correct. We agree. We, the only way to be rescued from this world and all of the destruction that we are worthy of is through the people of God, through, the, through Israel. And through clinging to the Messiah of Israel. To the Messiah of Israel, to a Jewish rabbi. So the only, but the, in the meantime, the question is simply how? And Jews have developed a formula on how that's supposed to happen. And Paul's argument is... It's not through a man-made system. It's through strictly through the same process that Abraham got in. Amen. There it is. Okay, we're good here. Uh, Verse 7. Yes, we want to read all that so that we can move on. Does anybody see the end, the rest of three and the end of four, any halakhic issues that would need to be discussed? Um, I think it may have been four. I was going to ask you. Uh, I was going to ask you about 26, but, hey, you know, just because you're an angry guy. But Actually, that's what I was going to ask you about. <laughs> that was the one I was looking for. Thank you very much. You're so predictable. 
Um, no, actually, because that one's a little confusing. So verse 26, chapter 4, says, Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down in your anger. But then verse 31, this may be an English translation error. Let bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. So in verse 26, he says, be angry, but don't sin, as though somehow it's possible to do both. You can't right. be angry without sinning. Right. But then verse 31 says, make sure you put anger away from you. So I'm kind of confused. Okay. So if, uh, if you were... In a situation where someone is blaspheming God, blaspheming his temple, blaspheming his son, I think it would be appropriate to take up an offense and to get angry, but not to sin. And there's the there's the rub, right? So um, there's, there's obviously, and we don't need to define it tonight, but a, a box in which anger is appropriate. And when you go outside the box, it's sin. And the sin part is what is referring to in 31. But I think the question needs to be not the first half of 26, the last half of 26. What does that mean? Oh, not the sun down in your anger? Mm -hmm. I remember Gregory mentioned this, similar to this concept one time, that he had really gotten inspired from a passage about the vows that are made. So if a woman makes a vow, her husband can nullify the vow the, when? Same, the same day. In the day he hears of it. The day he hears of it. If he hears of it and waits until the next day, which would be when the sun goes down in a Jewish time frame. That's right. Um, then the vow is established. And it's as though he's given his implicit confirmation by not saying anything so that same principle seems to be applying somewhat here it's almost like um there's a time limit on yeah. on this anger because um anything more than that is an issue i guess my question to you and maybe another way to look at this i i i, I hear what you're saying and I, i've heard that interpretation before i know i have but another thought i was wondering about is could it be that verse 26 is referencing anger as an emotion, a feeling, a concept, and verse 31, in the context of bitterness, wrath, clamor, slander, is almost referencing anger as an action. So like verse 26 saying, if you feel angry, okay, you can feel angry, but don't do anything about it and get rid of it, express it to God, whatever you need to do, and then and don't let don't let it linger, dissipate it, get rid of it. But it's not like if you get that little like flash internally, you haven't necessarily sinned in that moment. It's just that you make sure you control yourself. Verse 31 is saying, here's a long list of things that anger can make you do. And anger, you know, like that kind of, I don't know. I was just thinking about it that way, trying to look at it in fresh eyes. Anybody got some comments? Because I, I definitely have some very strong feelings on this. And I think it has everything to do with marital bliss, but we'll get there in a minute. Josiah. Do you think in verse 26, you could be referring to zealousness? I do, sir. And I don't. I think it can. And so there's it's, there's no possibility that he could. It's possible. There's no question about it. It's possible. And and that could be again that box of being zealous for the Lord, as Phineas or Pinchas did, um, and yet it's not sin. He was actually rewarded with a covenant of peace for that. 
Um, and that's where I was going originally. And I think that's the, the, the broadest view of that. But I think there's a more specific one. Go ahead, Scott. I'm just going to say that, that also fits with the thought of not letting the sun go down on your anger, mm -hmm. not being a timing marker, but mm -hmm. rather a, a metaphor for don't lose your zealousness. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Ah, that's a different way of looking at it. Right. Okay. Keep it going. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. So, but I, I, I like Joshua's uh, uh, expression. Yeah, where twenty-six is a is a mental state, and thirty-one is result uh, expressions of your mental state. I, okay. Um, yeah, I wouldn't have put it that way. So, I would uh, negative negative representation. Okay, yeah, I, I could go there. Um, I think the beauty of the word here in, uh, in 26 is that it can be either way. Have that zealousness and don't let it fade. Or be angry, but don't sin. But when the day is done, make sure you've you've come you've made peace. Um, and my wife and I have, uh, for thirty plus years, gone down that road. If we have an argument, and it's it's my fault. That's what marriage is about. It's my fault. Um, we're not going to go to bed. Angry. That ain't gonna happen. We will work it out. We will flesh it out. We will talk it out that day. That day. Before we go to bed. Because we're not gonna wake up angry having problems. We're gonna make sure it's resolved. Because I believe that that's where the devil, which is the, the next phrase, gets an opportunity. That he can get a foothold, as we see in some other passages, uh, in our lives and, and put a wedge in, in that relationship. Um, I, I do think that it is correct to perceive 26 and 31 as completely different scenarios. It's a different Greek word, too. No, they're both orge is the, is the root for both of them. Huh. Yeah, the second one in 31 is just... Um, Conjugated, so it's longer. Organza mm -hmm. or something like that. Mm -hmm. um, does that make sense? Mm -hmm. that, um, to be angry and not sin, uh, I think, also comes into play as a dad. You know, your 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 son has just uh, opened up a can of uh, blue paint and poured it all over the expensive uh, Asian rug in the family room and has drawn his name in it several three four five hundred times uh, with his finger and then has uh, wiped his hand on the wall um, just to try and show you his creativity absolutely wonderful creativity yeah because, <laughs> i mean it, you know you need to be angry at that um and yet not sin but then there's the cute side to it <laughs> which is where the not sin part comes i hope from so you see, you see where I'm coming from? So that I think that box can have so many different contexts. And the, the, the context of this passage 
does not appear to give us a clue as to which way it should go. I think it can go, at least grammatically, either way. Being zealous for the Lord, not letting the sun go down on that anger when God's involved, that's a great thing. The other flip side, when man is involved, don't let that anger last past that day. Josiah. Um, on the zealousness, it could, uh, could be also meaning in chapter 30, verse 31, don't let that zealousness overcome you and make you overreact. True. That'll work too. Yeah. Zealousness. Yeah. Um, I, I think that 31 always rings to me as someone who is letting his emotions mm-hmm. drive more than his, mm-hmm. his intellect, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, you got malice going on now. There's, there's a problem here. Malice is something that we should never be dealing with. Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. He will repay. It's not for us to do that. We don't need malice. If someone were actually to, to take advantage of us, woe to him. I'm a child of the king. It's, you know, America, I, I said this on Shabbat, is, is just enamored with royalty. And we're watching the crown, we're watching Queen Elizabeth and Queen Victoria, and now we're watching uh, Markle, Merkel, Merkel, Meghan, what's her name? Meghan Markle. Meghan Markle. Markle, Meghan Merkel. Meghan Markle. Yeah. So she's uh, engaged to Prince Harry. They're going to get married in a couple of months. And we've got uh, uh, the Duchess of uh, Windsor. Is that the uh, Kate, former Kate Middleton? You know, and uh, married to uh, Prince... Uh, <coughs> and these, you know, everybody is just watching all of that stuff. I mean, it's just great. The trouble is... We want to be a part of royalty here in America. We want that because it's it's built into us. It's it's a divine thing. And we need to embrace that as believers in Messiah. Because now we are we are children of the King. And this should be an enjoyable, satiating thing. Especially as Americans where we don't have we just go along with kingship. That goes along with uh, service and serving all the people. Mm-hmm. We should embrace mm-hmm. the service of serving everybody instead of looking yeah. at where, where, yeah. how can the I serve more people? Yeah. Um, I just want to, you know, look at look at the less in uh, at least in the English Standard Version uh, from twenty six down to the end of uh, the chapter. Let the thief. Let no corrupt talk, let, and uh, do not grieve, and let all bitterness. I mean, these are corrective statements, right? To try and mold and all of that. But this bottom line, being kind to one another, uh, forgiving, tender-hearted, and all of that. So, I think there's a, you know, as much as individual points that we can make here, there's also that overriding focus of. You should have an attitude that you're just a pussycat and a teddy bear. You know, if you're going to be angry, don't sin. He doesn't say don't be angry. If you're going to be angry, don't sin. So there needs to be a good reason for it. But while we're talking about attitudes, down to the teddy bear deal. 
Well, I love Speaking this. of teddy bears, good. <laughs> I love the summary uh, at the very beginning of the passage. You must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. And I think this goes back to what we talked about earlier. Yeah. Our baseline as Gentiles is bad. Yeah. I mean, you it's start. The, it's you the wrong, do the wrong what, standard. What you naturally think you should do, it's wrong. So the, In fact, uh, it's a great way to figure out what God's will is. <laughs> I think this is the right thing. It must be that. <laughs> well, it's funny that it's interesting how Paul phrases this, though. He's talking about earlier. He doesn't say you must no longer walk as the unbelievers do. He says the Gentile. Right. Because, at least in his day, especially, and even more somewhat today, um, to some degree, the default for the Jews is not like the Gentiles. Mm-hmm. They have a connection to God naturally that's different from the mm-hmm. rest of us. That's right. And a lot of them are religious whether they really want to be or not. Um, but Gentiles, I mean, my goodness, he has a long list here. And, and, I mean, he's just scratching the surface of the types of ways that we live. I mean, all you have to do is surf late night TV to realize that we will come up with every possible manner in which we can dishonor God. Exactly right. But to your point, if you look at the way he started and then the way he finishes it in 5.1, Right. Right? The imitators Don't be like a Gentile. Children. Be like God. Be like God. It's as simple as that. As beloved children. And who are his children? The Jews. Amen. And we get back to the monarchy. There it is. All right. Really, you're going into chapter 5. I assume we're moving into that direction. I'm already past chapter 5. I'm towards the wake, go, sleep, and arise from the dead. Yeah. Uh, there's a couple of references, I think, in chapter 5. Um... To do with thanksgiving. Verse 20 says, giving thanks always and for everything God the Father, in the name of our Lord Yeshua the Messiah. Wow, you just you just jumped past verse 4, and you went down to what? 20? 20. Okay. Uh, well, I, I started in verse 4, but it's still thanksgiving. <laughs> I started verse 4. <laughs> you know, you we're on the speed read anyway, so there you go. Good for you. But, um, but the, the giving thanks always and for everything. Mm-hmm. I actually heard this. Yishai Fleischer was talking about this idea. Listen, yeah, I think he got the idea from Shalom Arush, who's the one who wrote the Gateway, different things, the yeah. Gate of Imanah and so forth. Um, I think it's the Gateway. The gateway, Garden, the Garden, Garden of Imanah. Yeah. Garden of Imanah, Garden of Peace. Has this idea that you literally thank God for everything. And he's like, stub my toe. Like I say, thank you, Hashem, for letting me stub my toe. And actually, Yishai Fleischer was saying, even goes into like areas of like, of like his personal struggles. He's like, God, thank you that I am dealing with the situation that's making me angry right now. You know, thank you that you put me in a place to control my temper. Well, in the, in the Garden of Amunah, I mean, I mean, that's the whole idea, right? Is that you recognize that everything, everything comes from God. It doesn't come from your sin. It comes from God. He not only allows it, he orchestrates it for your good. That's right. really hard to deal with, especially with our Western minds. Right. And worse even with a Gentile Western mind. And Yishai Fleischer's idea, though, I think is so cool because um, he says it's transformative. When you thank God for something, it starts to change the you way you view you it. You see it in a different light, sure. So it came from God. Right. And so, like, when we, we see this verse, it says, giving thanks always and for everything. I think it's so easy sometimes when I love that in the same category that um, as somehow it's like hyperbole. But I think that, I literally think that, that Paul is is talking about that, um, well, he's talking about literally, but he's saying, like, literally, be thankful for everything that happens. I mean, I mean. And I think that in this world, you want to talk about making a witness and standing out? Yep. How about you're the only guy in your entire office who's thrilled that it's Monday? 
I mean, I can't tell you. Thank you that I've got a job to go to on Monday. But, but yeah, pick any reason to be thankful. But the point is that, like, I mean, everybody you talk to, it feels like at work is, well, it's Monday. Doing good for a Monday, you know? And it's like, yeah. or it's cold outside, you know? Oh, I wish it was summer. I would, it like if you could somehow be well, able to do both. Um, <laughs> I hear an echo. <laughs> but if, thank you. Um, but if you could somehow be thankful when everybody else is lamenting, it's what a inspiration that it's would be. It's a witness. Amen. Come busting through the door saying, It's Monday, everybody. <laughs> it's a good thing. Everyone's just drinking coffee. Oh, look at that guy again. Brock, uh, Brock brings up that uh, fact uh, I didn't notice until just now that anger festers. And mm-hmm. it just builds on itself and so forth, and especially at work. And uh, yeah, that's exactly right. So, uh, Mr. Morton, probably the wisest man I know in the room. Um, 515. Look carefully then, and walk not as unwise, but as wise. So, um, how do you read that? Maybe you can follow the rest, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. So where's the wisdom coming from? Wisdom comes only from God. Hmm. He's given us His Word and then back to the, the Torah that guides us in how we walk and live our lives every day. There it is. Cool. So, do we need to get into the husbands submit to your wives and wives submit to your husbands thing, or are you okay with that? We got into that. That's a whole new topic. I don't think Paul said anything about that one. <laughs> they wrote a book about that love and respect. Nice. Mm-hmm. Nice. It's a, good, it's a good book. Good, good. One thing I did just want to throw out real quick. I think this passage is really interesting. He talks about specifically that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, that he might present the assembly to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle, any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. And it says, in the same way, husbands should love their wives. This particular concept, this idea of, of making her seem glorious, um, Judaism does promote this concept. Uh, one thing it says is that you should never put your wife in a situation that would cause you to think less of her. You know, don't don't ask her to do something she can't do or whatever because it's destructive the relationship mm-hmm. if you view her negatively. Mm-hmm. Um, so every Friday night we read Eshechayil and um, my dad loves to talk about that idea of like seeing the mm-hmm. wife as that, as meeting that, not as a hypothetical, but right. as actually who she is. Um, and and uh, I think it is in um, in the Garden of Peace that Shalom Arush talks about that idea of really trying to see your wife positively all the time. Uh, Rabitz and Jungers talk about the idea of seeing everything with a good eye. And so if you think about it, essentially what Yeshua is doing here is he's making us perfect. Because So we don't have that much power over our wives, but if we were to treat our wives and view our wives as perfect, then we're we're having a similar approach as a Messiah. We're having an approach that is True. Uh, harmonious and inspirational. True. I think our wives make it easy on us. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> that's very true. Yeah. That's that's only because we're married up. Yeah, married that's up. right. We do. So, what's your uh, concept there about the husband cleansing his wife by the washing of water with the word? Wow! To continually go over. Torah and to discuss God's word with her, to to walk the journey together with God. Okay, I, I kind of see it as um, being the 
for, for, for me anyway, sort of like being the spiritual leader in the home. And certainly the um, someone's responsibility it is to instigate. There's a, there's a common phrase, this idea you, you, you um, I can't remember the exact wording, but it's something like you put out what you take in. And it's like if I'm studying scripture throughout the week, I want to come home and want to tell my wife about whatever mm -hmm. it is I'm learning. Mm -hmm. If I'm reading political news, that's what we're going to talk about. Mm -hmm. It's my responsibility to put in the study so that I have something to say, mm -hmm. that I'm excited and passionate about. My wife's all day long taking care of the house, watching our infant. Um, she may or may not have time to put in any study at all. Sure. So it's up to me to be that person to carry that torch. So Keep it going. I, the, both of you so far have, if I would summarize, it's, it's, it's more teaching and keeping her in the word and so forth. Would you agree? More or less. Okay. John? I think, well, this is, I see this switching over to uh, Yeshua and the congregation. So I, I think it's saying that first you come into relationship with him and then you walk out the Torah. Okay. Which is a... How are you doing that with your wife? Sanctifying and washing. Well, I'm, I'm going to the the other side. I, their explanations are great for the wife. <laughs> okay. Okay. Don't die. Be still. So, can Well, I was just checking John Gill's commentary on this because I've always not necessarily like I, to Joshua's point I've sort of interpreted it in my own way or, or I have applied it in my own way thinking are we need to be reading scripture discussing scripture you know and and to your point like making sure if I'm learning something I'm bringing it back and discussing it and whatnot but it's interesting John Gill tends to go off on it not necessarily being water and the word as we're interpreting it but more like the blood of Messiah, more of like the fountain idea, and the word being specifically the gospel. So yeah. I just found that interesting, but so it, kind of, it, it could be. But I think he's tending to spiritualize it too much, which he tends to do from time to time. Um, I, I think the the thing I'm I'm not hearing here is the whole washing concept, right? So foot uh, baths. Oh, your pardon? Foot baths. Foot baths. Right. <laughs> yeah. Um, so in Titus 3, Messiah saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. This is the very same word. It's the only other time it appears in the scripture. And it is, you know, a, a washing kind of thing. So I really think that, that Paul is trying to give us a little bit more than just teaching, but rather not so much maybe where Gil is going, but that we need to sanctify her. We need to use the word to direct our wives. That's our responsibility. That when perhaps she's despondent, we need to use the word to, to remind, her, remind her of her place in the Messiah. That she's a child of the king and so forth. When when she may be considering or starting to use Lashara, that we would remind her and 
use the scripture to teach her and lift her up and cleanse her. You, you can't wash someone unless there's something there that needs to be removed. And I think that's the part that I'm not, I'm not hearing in, in what we're, we're saying, right? This is not just, and I, I read something really cool in the scripture today. So let's, let's just have a little word study together. That's teaching, and that's great, and that's also a responsibility, but I don't think that's where Paul is coming from here. I think he's giving us a very, very special responsibility in which we can parallel the work of Messiah Yeshua in the same way that he cleansed us from our unrighteousness. We get the opportunity to do the same thing almost as part of a covenant household as the Presbyterians would teach. Sir. Let's go back to the actions. Yeah. It's something we're doing. And it's, and it's, and it's not teaching, not a didasco, but you know, it's, it's, a, it's a washing thing. And I, I think it's, it's one of the, you know, the, the, the biggest expressions, this lutron, uh, biggest expressions of love that we can have for our wives is that we would parallel that Messiah and the assembly, the husband and the wife kind of thing. You know. Yeah. And one of the best ways we can be effective with that is to allow them to do the same to us when we I mean, I mean, we need watching. Well, you know, he goes through that, uh, you know, the sort of, the, the parallel thing is uh, is a big deal. Cool. All right. So uh, anything in, uh, in chapter six, and we'll close it up there. Um, again, I, this is the same thing having Colossians. I think it's uh, true in Ephesians uh, that if I left any of you to break a long letter into chapters, you would not have put 6-1 where it is. You probably would have uh, started the chapter in verse 10. But that's, you know. You see that? Right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, you know, uh, Ephesians 5, 15, look carefully then how you walk. Wives do this, husbands do that. Now we're up to 25. And then children in 6-1, bond servants in 6-5. And then finally, mm -hmm. let's close up the letter B strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. That's, uh, that's a, a really, really cool deal. So we've got the whole armor of God there. And uh, did anybody look up Luke 11, uh, 14 through 23? Micah, did you look it up? Good for you, man. Can you read uh, Luke 11, 14 through 23 for us now? Yeah, Luke would be a few pages back to the left. Yeah. Always turning to that. Verse 10 reminded me of um, uh, what we traditionally say when we end the book of the book. Kazakh, Kazakh, we need Kazakh, right. That's right. Yeah. That's, that's really cool. Go ahead, Beth. And he was casting out a demon, and was mute. When the demon had gone up, the mute man spoke, and the clowns were amazed. But, but some of them said, He casts out demons by Beelzebub, the ruler of the demons. Others detest him, demanding of him a sign from heaven. 
But he knew their thoughts and said to them, Any kingdom divided against itself is laid waste, and house against itself falls. If Hatsutana also is divided against himself, how is kingdom stand? If you say that I cast documents by Baal-Zebul, and if I by Baal-Zebul cast out demons, by whom do you sons cast them out? So they will be your judges. But if I cast out demons by the finger of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. When a strong man, fully armed, guides his own house, his possessions are in the stirrup. Born someone stronger than he attacks him and overpowers him. He takes away from him all his own, on which he has relied, and distributes his plunder. He who is not with me is against me, and he who does not gather with me scatters. Nice. So, what's he saying? And do you think that he had this passage that the Master used in mind? I... I I thought he did, obviously. I mean, he, he, you know, standing against the schemes of the devil, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, and, he, you know, he's talking about, you know, the demons and so forth, the rulers, parties. so. I just think it's, I just think that's odd. And I think it's odd because I don't think Paul was there to hear that. Mm-hmm. He wasn't a follower at the time, right? Mm-hmm. He didn't become a follower until after the Master's death. Resurrection. Yeah. So. Well, yeah. I'm sure he and Luke had plenty of time. Yeah. Plenty of conversation. Exactly. And who knows? Luke could be actually penning, right, Mm -hmm. Uh, what was going on there. But Mm -hmm. uh, I I just think that uh, I, I think I think Paul is trying to tie this all up here and and say, you know, we're, we're, we've been talking about actions, we've been talking about work that we should be doing, and things that we should be doing, whether we're husbands or whatever the case might be. But you need to remember that there's a lot more going on here than you can see. Mm-hmm. So you, you need to, to put on the whole armor of God, not just the, the stuff that you can deal with, but you need to deal with and remember that the room is actually filled with other folk that we can't see. Just like there's radio waves right now. WDAV, the classical musical station, is playing in this room right now. You just can't hear it. But it's playing right here in this room. And if I just turn on a radio receiver, the, the radio waves that are in this room right now, you'd hear it. And it's the same way. If you, if you get tuned in properly, you would recognize that it's not just us. There's a whole spiritual thing going on here. And there's rulers and principalities and spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. And they do impact and impart stuff on us. And, you know, and that, that seems to be how he wants to close this out. Um, to, to, that we might understand and make clear that it's this, this walk is not just how well you can do doing all the right things. There's an argument going on. There's a fight going on. There's a battle going on. And if you don't recognize that, you're going to fall. And you're, you're going to be a casualty in that war. Final comments on Ephesians. You think there was a writing day? 
I'm reading this uh, chronologically. It seems more and more obvious to me that he, you know, just having a writing, maybe it's a writing week. I don't know how long it takes to write a letter, but you know, the Colossians thing. I mean, it's just so much like the Philemon thing. It was just so much like the Ephesians thing. I'm about to jump into Philippians. I mean, it's just they all. They're so similar. I gotta believe, you know, there weren't years between them, there weren't months between them. They were the same guys, like, you know, hey, get, go get a sandwich, come back, we'll write another letter to somebody else. I think we have a way of saying things when we're passionate, teaching, or selling, or whatever. We have kind of our spiel that we fall into. Yeah, just do it again so and again. I think you know, some of those similarities are coming from that. It could be, it could be. The, the fact that there's a lot of the same people. You know, leads me to believe that they're all sitting on the couch across from him. You know, and it, you know, he's just either walking around and dictating to his amanuensis, or he's you know, well, let me write the last chapter myself. You know, it's in my own hand. You know, look at this. You know, <laughs> cool. Final comments on uh, on Ephesians. We have uh, Colossae. Ephesus, and obviously uh, Philemon and Onesimus are living nearby, and we're about to get into Philippians with Philippi. These these places are all, you know, pretty close. So it's uh, it's encouraging. It's encouraging to to hear what he's got to say in uh, in one little diddle like that. So. Gregory, you want to pray for us? Yes, that'd be great. I might think it'd be great too. Abino Malcano, our Father, our King, we thank you so much for the privilege of studying your word together as men, as we discuss and, and sharpen each other with our comments and with our insights. I am consistently blessed by our time together here, and it, it inspires me throughout the week. Yes, Father. We pray, Father, that you would bless this household Bless my father-in-law for opening up his house and being so hospitable and spending the amount of time that he takes every single week to prepare a study guide that we can stay focused and, and get through our lessons with picking out the things that are going to be applicable to us throughout the week and, and in our lives as we, are, as we walk out our faith as husbands and as fathers and as workers in the workforce. We... Uh, we are just so grateful for the many, many blessings that you give us in each of those areas of our lives. We thank you, Father, for your love and for sending Messiah Yeshua to give us life and life more abundantly. Mm. It is in his name we pray. Amen. 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 Thank you, Gregory.